Well, good morning. Again, my name is Greg Hartnett, and I'm on staff here as, as a pastor in training, as Jennifer mentioned. I'm about two-thirds of the way through a three-year program in which I finish up some seminary work at Fuller, and then I shadow some of our pastors. So my wife and I got here about two years ago, and she's from the Springs, and, and so we ended up buying a house when we got here. And, and we did the kind of, you know, trendy millennial thing. We bought a, a house close to downtown that's really a fixer-upper is like how you could describe our house. And um, in the last two years, what that means is that we have done a ton of painting, and we've done a ton of replacing rotted drywall, and uh, I've retiled our bathroom floors and tub surrounds, and we've, it seems like almost every weekend I'm headed to Rocky Top Resources with a truck full of branches and other yard waste. And, and so since I have time this morning, I just, I just wanted to brag about that a little bit and just say... <laughs> really great. And uh, I'm actually going to show you some before and after photos. So, so what we're looking at here is uh, this is our front lawn, or it was our front lawn. And we have some natural um, Colorado Springs flora growing up there through the rocks. And, um, you know, now today we put some, some work in and, and it looks a little bit more like that. Okay. We pulled up all that stuff, put some border, and now there's, there is actually mulch in that dirt pit. I just didn't take the picture later. All right. And then uh, here's another project we worked on. This is a, a bathroom. You'll see the linoleum has, has seen better days. And um, so we, we dug in there and again, forgot to take the picture before we started. But now here's what it looks like today. Ooh. Ah, thank you. Okay, and then um, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. We had, this is our backyard, or it was our backyard, and we had, you know, rabid dogs running around, and, and we, have, we have a two-year-old, and so we said, we can't have a backyard where our two-year-old can't run around, so, um, so this is what it looks like now. Ah, yes, we put in the Instalon. It was, it was great. So it's just so satisfying to see a before and an after picture, right? You know, there's something about complete transformation that, that, that really is compelling. That's why our nation went crazy for shows called Fixer Upper and, and things like The Biggest Loser a couple of years ago, and, and why the daytime shows that do complete makeovers for people are so popular all the time. There's, a, there's something in us that just is inspired by transformation. And really, I think we're drawn to these sorts of stories because we really find ourselves longing for this transformation for ourselves. Again, we're in our final week of the Holy Spirit series, and, and this morning our passage reveals another total transformation for us. You might remember that for the past few weeks we've been looking at a, a sermon that one of the followers of Jesus, Peter, has been preaching to the masses at a Jewish festival called Pentecost. He speaks a lot about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the ancient Hebrew scriptures and prophecies, and that brings us to our passage today. So I invite you to turn to or turn your phones on to Acts 2, 36 through 47. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter wraps up his first Christian sermon with these words in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, there's some really theologically loaded terms in that verse, and we're going to start with the less familiar one for us, probably. Jesus is Messiah. In Greek, this is the word Christos, or Christon, in this verse, which is where we get the term Christ. You know, many people think that Christ is Jesus' last name, but it's actually a theological term, and it means Messiah, or the Anointed One. And Peter's Jewish audience would have been well, well acquainted with this word, because, because this spoke to a royal figure who would play a crucial role for Israel in the final days. In choosing to use this term, Peter is telling the people, you know the king who is supposed to rise up to save Israel, the king that we have been waiting for? Well, Jesus is that king. Jesus is that anointed one. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and you just executed him. Ugh. Peter goes on to say that Jesus is Lord. And this is, this is actually one of the earliest creeds of the church, these simple three words. Let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Good job. You just memorized one of the oldest creeds in Christianity. Excellent. Um, you see, Lord is not just a term of respect or, or somebody who is over and oversees land, but it's actually referring to the God of Israel himself. In the statement, Jesus is Lord, Peter is affirming the divinity of Jesus. He's looking his fellow Jews squarely in the eye and saying, the God that I've been talking about this entire morning, the God that we grew up worshiping at the temple, well, it turns out that Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And you just crucified him. Peter calls out the people, and understandably, they they have a visceral reaction. Verse 37 says that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So let's, let's think about this, this verse here, as our before picture, okay? Remember, we're looking for before and after. We're looking for total transformation in this passage. Okay, so on the before side, we have a picture that we're going to title something like, people who don't recognize Jesus for who he is and play a role in his crucifixion. And now, thanks to Peter, the people are aware of this. They know that something is not right with this picture. They know they're not the good religious people that they thought they were, and they've been awakened to a new reality. And this this is precisely where we begin to see the handiwork of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit awakens people to their brokenness and their deep need for a Redeemer and moves people to faith in Christ. So the people ask, what shall we do? And Peter's he's a good guy. Like he's, he doesn't leave them hanging. He's not like, I don't know, good luck. Uh, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent is another one of these words that that doesn't really get a lot of airtime in our world today. It's another unfamiliar term for us, but in the New Testament, repentance especially involved the changing of one's mind, which leads to the changing of one's actions. So, for example, I'd mentioned that we've been working on our house, and what I didn't mention is that we are completely inexperienced, okay? We we really don't know what we're doing, and so we've been watching YouTube videos almost daily trying to figure out how to get this house back together. I worked for a tiling company after college for a little while, but my job was destruction, and so I don't really know, like, what you're supposed to do with things that are not supposed to come apart. Um, So last year, I was working on getting a tub into our new our bathroom that we were we were working with and so i was trying not to move the the tub drain i was trying to use the existing drain and get the tub into place and this was incredibly challenging like really really challenging for me because it wasn't actually meant to do that and my wife very lovingly said greg darling i think we should call a plumber (laughs) and i and i was like no 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 i got the youtube videos i'm good i'll figure this out and so Days went by, weeks went by, and, and, it, and it took me uh, doing it wrong and flooding the upstairs bathroom, the upstairs bathroom and the downstairs ceiling, uh, not once, not twice, but three times before I realized, ah, I see the error of my ways here. My wife knows what she's talking about, and so I went and apologized to her and then got on Google and tried to find local plumbers. And so now we have a bathroom to this, to this day. It's great. And, um, you know, this is a form of repentance. But Peter calls people to repentance on a spiritual level. It's what, what one scholar calls a spiritual about face is this repentance. And then Peter calls people to be baptized. This is not a new instruction. Peter didn't invent baptism, and John the Baptist even though he's named for it, didn't invent baptism. It's something that the Jewish people had been practicing for a long, long time. It was part of their, their Hebrew scriptures that, that there were to be cisterns of water and, and rituals where the priests and other people would go and be purified before uh, different events. And, and actually, baptism was part of the process by which non-Jewish people converted to Judaism. It's always, always been part of a person's entry into new life and initiation into God's people. But most important for us today is to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one primarily at work in baptism. Not only do the Gospels describe the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus at his baptism, but the Spirit is consistently at work in people to make forgiveness, repentance, and profession of faith possible. It's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to bring us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. And baptism is a physical sign by which we recognize these spiritual realities. There are a variety of methods for how to baptize, and and, and no one is more right. Here at First Pres, we often sprinkle water on people who are being baptized, but we also do immersion baptism as well. Sometimes people are submerged completely, and and we can do that. We just call up our friends over at First Baptist, and they figure out a time for us to come over there and and use their baptism, baptismal font. And... uh, One of the cool things about immersion is that we witness a person going into the water with their old life and then then being raised to a new life, to a new community, to a new family of faith. There's a parallel of going down into a watery grave, being held down for an appropriate amount of time, not too long, and then being raised back up to new life. 
And again, while this is a great image, the most important part of this is that the Holy Spirit enters people's lives, and it results in complete renovation. It's, it's like a complete and total immersion, and it leads to complete transformation. There's no aspect of a person's life that goes untouched when the Holy Spirit is at work. Peter promises his audience that faith in Christ and repentance and baptism will also be accompanied by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been listening closely, you'll remember that we saw the Holy Spirit already working when the people were cut to the heart, when they, when they heard Peter's words. But Peter also describes the Holy Spirit being received as a gift. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent and enter the community of faith, we experience God in a new way. We become filled with God's very presence, and we experience a type of freedom and joy that was previously incomprehensible. It's also, though, important to note that this is not a formula or a prescribed order of operations. In, in other places in the book of Acts, we see repentance and baptism and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit coming in a variety of orders. But regardless of the order, we see people consistently finding forgiveness in Christ and experiencing true and rich life in the Holy Spirit. So with this, Peter has further good news. The promise of verse 38 to receive the Holy Spirit is not limited just to those who are there in that attendance that day. Peter says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Very early in the Bible, in, in Genesis chapter 17, God, 17, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. As part of the entry into the promise, God called Abraham to circumcise his male descendants shortly after they were born. And this was going to be the right through which they were engrafted into God's promise with Abraham. And similarly, we Presbyterians look at passages like this one, and we see an invitation to baptize children. Obviously, an infant cannot re repent and decide to follow Jesus, but we understand baptism to be a proclamation that a child is being claimed as a member of the covenant community. The child will eventually need to express faith in Jesus later in life, but the work of sealing the child to God's promise is accomplished by the Holy Spirit long before the child can articulate faith. So Peter goes on and says, With many other words he warned him, he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And what happens? The crowd responds. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this, this is incredible. But after this, things really get interesting. We begin to see what it looks like when people have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All of this is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives and in their community. People are gathering daily around the scriptures and are committed to learning more and more from those who walked with Jesus. They're moved to fellowship, and this is not just coffee and donut hole in the plaza fellowship. This is something deeper, okay? This is walking through life together, supporting one another, supplying for each other's needs, laughing together, and weeping with one another. 
Some of you have experienced this sort of fellowship, maybe through a a Sunday morning community here or a life group. We've been hearing a lot of stories from our spring run of the life groups about people who, who committed to making meals for one another when they were in challenging seasons. I've heard about people committing to drive others in their group places when they're experiencing illness or are without a car for a season. We've heard of people finding friendship and community in life groups after having lost a spouse. And this is the type of selfless, life-on-life fellowship that occurs when the Holy Spirit is at work. So these people, they committed to the breaking of bread as well, which refers to the Lord's Supper. They practiced the sacrament together. They were spiritually nourished together. And they committed to prayer. Again, we've, we've heard lots of stories about people praying meaningfully for one another in life groups, but, but this included some more formal prayer. They were, they were praying through the Psalms, praying the Lord's Prayer, and, and pursuing these things with intentionality. And here we get a taste of what the Spirit can do in Christian community. Now, if you, if you look around today, you might be quick to point out that the early church didn't really look a lot like we look like at First Pres today. There's no mention of a choir or, or a band or donuts. Um, but that doesn't mean the way that we gather at First Pres is unbiblical or wrong. We actually see various expressions of the church throughout the New Testament. But what it does mean is that you must get plugged into some sort of life group or small community where this sort of thing flourishes, where the Holy Spirit moves in this way all the time. We see that the believers also held everything in common. And this really is remarkable. I mean, verse 45 says that they sold property. They sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. And these verses can often result in a series of questions. These are questions like, does following Jesus mean I'm supposed to sell all my possessions and give everything to the church? Is this supposed to make me feel guilty about vacation or or enjoying retirement? Or if I'm not called to give everything to the church, then how am I supposed to know how to utilize my resources? resources? And really today, from, from this platform, I can't answer all of these questions for you. The kind of sacrifice and generosity described in this passage is an example of what happened when the Holy Spirit began to move in this early community. And we've seen similar expressions of this type of generosity in communal life here at First Pres, but this is not necessarily prescriptive for us at all times. To discern the answers to these questions, once again, you you need to be in a small community that can help speak scripture into your life by listening for what God might be calling you to do. However, in response to these questions this morning, I, I can say at least one thing. I would say that as we submit to God's Spirit, our desires begin to change. The Holy Spirit reforms our heart so that eventually we we really do begin to desire what God desires. And when this happens, there is no telling what God will do with your life, with your time, your money, your property, your vehicle, your stock portfolio, etc. Again, when the Holy Spirit enters a person's life, it is total immersion. It is comprehensive renovation. It is total and complete transformation. There is no aspect of a person's life that goes untouched when the Holy Spirit is at work. And so we come to the last lines of the passage, which tell us that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so we saw the before picture of the people at Pentecost, right? And we titled that picture something like, people who did not recognize Jesus for who he was 
and were involved in his execution. And then here, here's our after picture in these verses. We've got a new, a thriving community so centered on Jesus Christ that they are willing to give sacrificially to care for one another. Every single part of their lives has been infiltrated by Jesus. But how does this happen? I mean, when it comes to my backyard and to my bathroom floors, the transforming power is me. It's my blood, sweat, tears, my elbow grease. And if I'm honest, it's actually my father-in-law's blood, sweat, tears, and (laughs) elbow grease as well. But today I'm taking credit. And so that's what happens with our backyards and our our bathroom floors. But, But when it comes to a transformed life, a transformed community, this is only the Holy Spirit who can do this sort of work. It's only the Holy Spirit who can bring us into the type of wholeness that Pastor Tim talked about three weeks ago and that we see in our passage today. Many of you here today, you you can attest to this. Many of you have experienced God in this way. You've received the gift of the Spirit. You can tell stories about how the Spirit led you to something that you never would have pursued on your own. You can testify to the way your life has been transformed. You can talk about a struggle with an addiction, a change in character, a healed relationship, And you know that it is only through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit that these things have come to be. But many of you have not experienced this. Many of you don't know the Lord in this way. Some of you have refused the type of transformation and freedom that the Spirit offers, and you're you're missing the love, joy, and peace of Jesus Christ. And so I say to you today that the invitation that Peter extended in that sermon nearly 2,000 years ago is also before you today. You see, at the beginning of our passage, Peter said, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the scholars are are quick to remind us that the phrase, whom you crucified, it doesn't promote anti-Semitism. It's not just the Jews who landed Jesus on a cross. Rather, Peter is speaking to the greater truth that Christ went to the cross for our sin, for your sin, and for my sin. You see, each one of us has broken God's law. Each one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And each one of us is unable to put ourselves back into right relationship with God, to restore ourselves. We are completely dependent on someone else to do this for us. And and really, the only one who can accomplish this work is God himself. But the good news this morning is that while we were still sinners— Christ died to restore us so that all who proclaim Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And so I plead with you today, do not miss this invitation. Do not miss the opportunity to acknowledge your need for a Savior and to receive the Holy Spirit who has already been at work in you. Do not miss the opportunity today to open yourself up to transformation, to open yourself up to new life in Christ. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is so important that we're we're actually going to take time to do this right now. Our band is going to come out and and get ready to lead us, but we're going to take time right now to pray together. And I invite you to declare faith in Jesus Christ through this prayer. Maybe the Holy Spirit is is stirring in you, is moving in you in a new way today, and and you're ready to respond to Jesus for the very first time, to begin to allow the Spirit's transforming work to start in your life. Or maybe 
you've responded to this invitation to faith in Jesus before, but you've, you've wandered away and you need an excuse to return to him. And this is a chance to do that. Either way, you, you have the opportunity right now to invite the Holy Spirit to move in your life in a fresh way. So we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray a sentence, and then, and then you all will echo that line, even those of you who are watching online. And we're going to lift up our hearts, lift up our voices together to our Lord. Let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, my God, with an open heart, I pray. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. I declare him to be Lord and Messiah. I believe he died and rose again. I give you my life. Stir up new faith in me through your Holy Spirit. Transform me completely. that I could follow and trust in all you are. In Jesus' name, amen.